0: It's hard to understate how excellent that program has been and how massive it's been. I mean, they have bought back in their own stock the equivalent of most companies' market caps
1: many times. Over. No, I mean, they've <laughs> bought back more than a Visa, Dylan. It's incredible. They've bought back more than a Visa. I'm Chris Hill, and that's Dylan Lewis and John Ratanti. Buybacks are one of the best ways to return capital to shareholders, but only if they're done well. On today's show, we're taking a look at share buybacks and the companies giving you a larger slice of the pie. Dylan and John zoomed in on two companies that have done a great job of buying back their own stock and one that may have made some expensive mistakes.
0: Before we get into the nitty gritty, I think we should probably spend some time talking about what we're talking about with capital allocation and, and specifically what capital is being allocated
1: here by companies. To understand capital allocation and the priorities for how companies allocate their capital, we first need to define free cash flow because that's where capital allocation comes from. And so, free cash flow is the cash flow available to all claim holders, so both equity holders and debt holders. After the company has reinvested in growth. So, after the company has invested to maintain and grow its assets. One of the things that I think a lot of investors misunderstand is they think that companies are reinvesting their free cash flow. That is incorrect. Remember, free cash flow is after reinvestment, and that reinvestment takes the form of anything research and development, working capital. Capital expenditures, even acquisitions. So, free cash flow is the free, unencumbered cash that is left over after investing for growth. And so, there's only four things a company can do with its free cash flow one is it can pay a dividend, two is it can pay down debt, repay debt, three is it can repurchase stock or buy back stock, and then four is it can let it build up on the balance sheet. There are no other uses for free cash flow. The most creative companies in the world could not come up with another use. Those are the only four uses of real, true free cash flow. And so then the question of capital allocation is how does a company prioritize those uses? Does it prior- prioritize dividends? Does it prioritize paying down debt? Or does it prioritize buying back stock, which is what we're going to dive into here today?
0: Yeah. and I think the reason that this is so important and why capital allocation is so often directly associated with the management team is, it gets outside of a little bit of the day-to-day of the business and starts to focus a little bit more on what the business is building to and also financially, how this business wants to exist, wants to sell itself uh, to people in the market. You know, Do they want to be known as a company that pays a dividend? Do they want to be an aggressive repurchaser of their own stock? Do they want to be a company that's aggressively shoveling money into their marketing and, and not even having the option uh, and, and deciding through these things? Um, it's, it's kind of a way that we can zoom in on the financials and understand some of the priorities
1: of management teams. You're exactly right. And when we do a deep dive into the cash flow statement, um, each of the uses, each of the potential uses of free cash flow is a line item on the cash flow statement. So, repay debt is a line item on the cash flow statement. Common uh, dividends paid or total dividends paid is a line item on the cash flow statement. And repurchase of shares is a line item on the cash flow statement. So, if you look at the cash flow statement, you can literally see what a company's capital allocation priorities are. You don't have to ask management it's right there. If they're spending more every year on buybacks than dividends, you can see that buybacks are a priority. If they're spending more on dividends than buybacks, you can see dividends are, are, are a priority. Warren Buffett, Dylan, has um, shared his thoughts on the most value accretive uses of free cash flow. And here's one or two quotes from Buffett himself. In his 2012 letter to shareholders, he says, quote, we like increased dividends and we love repurchases at appropriate prices, end quote. Two other quotes from his, well, this is, this is also one from his 2000 11 letter to shareholders. Quote, it doesn't suffice to say that repurchases are being made to offset the dilution from stock issuances or simply because a company has excess cash. Continuing shareholders are hurt unless shares are purchased below intrinsic value. The first law of capital allocation, whether the money is slated for acquisitions or share repurchases, is that what is smart at one price is dumb at another. End quote. And then finally, my last quote, also from Buffett Repurchases is sensible for a company when its shares sell at a meaningful discount to conservatively calculated intrinsic value. Indeed, disciplined repurchases are the surest way to use funds intelligently. It's hard to go wrong when you're buying dollar bills for 80 cents or less. End quote. So there's Warren Buffett himself saying, Repurchases are the single best use of capital when done intelligently. Dylan?
0: I like that Buffett specifies in that first quote. He likes dividends, loves share repurchases. And, and a big part of that, John, is the, the dividends are great. You can you know, receive a payment. Sometimes it's a one time payment, sometimes it's on, an ongoing payment from a company. But that is generally seen as a one time use of cash.
1: Whereas buybacks create an ongoing benefit for shareholders and for the company. They create an ongoing benefit for continuing shareholders, shareholders that don't sell out, if done at appropriate prices. Yes, that's one hundred percent correct.
0: And and I think to zoom in on the mechanics here, we are talking about going out and removing the number of shares outstanding, or reducing the number of shares outstanding. Um, and the reason that that can continue to benefit people who continue on the stock is your stake in the business gets a little bit bigger. You own a little bit larger piece of the pie yep. with these companies, and. Before we start getting into some examples of companies that have done this well and companies that have not necessarily done this so well over the last couple of years, the the prevailing thought and the reason that I think people are willing to give management teams leash to buy back shares is in addition to the economic benefits, John, we typically think of management companies as being as dialed in and as aware of the health of their business as anybody. I mean, who better, who better to be making decisions about being able to buy back shares and allocate capital correctly uh, than the C-suite? Otherwise, why would they be there?
1: You're exactly right, Dylan. You would think management understands their, their company best, the company prospects best, and also the intrinsic value of the business best. Unfortunately, there's data, there's research showing that a lot of times, corporate America will buy back stock at the wrong time. They'll they will buy back the most stock when stock prices are high and surging, and then they will take their foot off of the buyback pedal when stock prices are uh, attractively valued and falling. There's many reasons for that. One is psychological. right? When, when everything's going well and your stock's going up, you think it's going to continue to go up for a while. That's just it's a recency bias. It's a it's a psychology thing. The other reason is incentives. Sometimes management teams are not incentivized to do what is best for long-term value creation and long-term shareholder value. Sometimes they're incentivized to increase earnings per share over a short period of time. And one way to do that may be to repurchase stock, even if it's at a high price. And so those high priced buybacks could destroy value in the long-term, but inflate earnings per share in the short-term. So it also, it also comes down to incentives.
0: Yeah, We're going to try to learn a little bit here. Learn from the best, maybe learn from an example or two more recently that, that I have some issues with. Let's start with one of those shining examples. There is, I think, one company that immediately comes to mind, John, when you think about share repurchases, and it is simply just because of the scale that they have bought back stock on over the last decade, and that's Apple.
1: Yeah, it's Apple. I think it's also a great segue because, you know, we were just talking about Warren Buffett and his thoughts on buybacks. It also happens that Apple is his largest stock holding. I, I, I don't remember. I don't know if it's $150 billion or, or where it is, but it's a very, very, very large amount. And so he says he loves buybacks at appropriate prices. That was a Buffett quote. Apple is a, an, an example of that. So they started buying back stock in 2012, and since then they've purchased a half. A trillion dollars worth of their stock. By the way, it's allocated about another 100 billion dollars to dividends over that time period, but we're going to focus on the buybacks here. Right now, it's allocating, Apple's allocating about 90 billion dollars a year towards buybacks, another 14 billion towards dividends. So over that time frame, basically their fiscal 2013 through fiscal year end 2021. Apple's fully diluted shares outstanding have gone from about 26 billion to about 16.8 billion. So, Apple has bought back over 35% of its shares outstanding and has been reducing the share count by an average of about 5% per year over the past decade. So, this is real return of cash to shareholders and not just buying back stock to offset dilution. So, Apple spent about $486 billion buying in 9.2 billion shares, fully diluted. So, that's an average price of about $53 per share, Dylan. $53 is the average price Apple has paid to buy back its stock. If you want to round up to 55, let's just do that. Round up to 55, that compares to a stock price today of about $145 per share. So, yeah, Apple is a shining example of uh, superior capital allocation. I cannot think of a better CEO for where Apple is in its life cycle than Tim Cook. He is just doing a fantastic job with both operating the business and capital allocation.
0: It's hard to understate how excellent that program has been and how massive it's been. I mean, they have bought back in their own stock the equivalent of most companies' market caps many times Gross. over.
1: No, I mean, They've <laughs> bought back more than a Visa, Dylan. It's incredible. They've bought back more than a Visa. It's incredible. Visa's, visa does not have a market cap of $500 billion.
0: Yeah. And, and to put some numbers to what that does, so over, we'll call it the last five years, 2017 to 2022, uh, company's net income has gone from about $48 billion to $99 billion. Wow. Over that same period, earnings per share have gone from $2.32 to trailing 12 months $6.10 on a basic EPS level. Incredible. So your earnings per share growth is outpacing net income because the number of shares that you're, you know, out there with have gone down. And I think one of the other interesting elements, and and this kind of gets lost just because Apple's dividend is so small, uh, the yield is so small, uh, even though the payment itself is is actually quite large. Apple's dividend per share is up 30% from 2018, so on a per share basis. The total amount of money that Apple pays in dividends is only up 7% during the same period. Per share. (laughs) Per share value. Per share value. 4.5 billion shares have been retired over that time. So It's been an ongoing benefit because people own more. It also means that the company hasn't had to pay out nearly as much uh, overall
1: to satisfy the requirements they've been able to grow their dividend. Yeah, Dylan, just to put some numbers on it, like you said, through their fiscal year-end 2021, their net income grew at a five-year compounded annual growth rate of 16%. Their earnings per share grew at a compound annual growth rate of 22%. The delta between the 16% growth in net income and the 22% growth in earnings per share was from buybacks,
0: and that's real. I mean, that's that is a real benefit that shareholders feel appreciate, um, and and it's
1: demonstrated in the performance of the stock. And um, you know, it's the largest company in the world. If you if you look at how much their market cap has increased compared to their stock price, the stock price has gone up a lot more because of those buybacks. It, Apple will be the first company to return one trillion dollars, one trillion dollars in capital through dividends and buybacks. It's hard to believe. Yeah,
0: and even uh, you know we followed this story for a while. You know this is is not new. This share repurchase program. I think even five years ago, if you told me that that was the number they were going to hit, I would have a hard time believing right. you. Totally. Yeah. The Apple share repurchase story is, I would say, a, a little well worn. John, Pe- people know it. I also want to give people maybe a story that they're a little bit less familiar with as an example of share repurchases done well.
1: Yeah, and I would say even done better than Apple. The example I have is O'Reilly, ticker O-R-L-Y, that's O'Reilly Automotive. This is a company that I tweet about all the time because it's one of my top holdings. It has increased its return on invested capital for 12 straight years. And That is driven by an upward trend in both its no-pat margins or net operating profit after-tax margins and its invested capital turnover. Basically, that means the increase in return on invested capital is, is coming from higher profit margins as well as better balance sheet efficiency. It also has a negative cash conversion cycle and generates more free cash flow than it knows what to do with. Its core earnings, Dylan, have grown every year for 23 consecutive years. Yet, a lot of investors think it's going to be disrupted or something like that. If it is, that disruption is happening at a glacial pace. And In the meantime, the company continues to grow profitably at extremely high returns on invested capital year in and year out. I've owned it for a decade, so I've owned it for longer than I've owned Apple. People have been telling me, Dylan, to sell this stock the entire time I've owned it. For over a decade, because EVs are going to put the company out of business. And I just keep ignoring them, honestly. And thank goodness, because have you seen how well the stock price has held up this year when pretty much everything else is getting smashed? Anyway, O'Reilly is, just like Apple, a superior operator and a superior capital allocator. It does not pay a dividend. Apple paid a dividend. O'Reilly does not pay a dividend. So, its priority for allocating free cash flow is clearly share repurchases and paying down debt. But we're going to focus on the buybacks here. So, it started buying back stock in 2011, 2011. And through year end 2021, it has spent $16.7 billion buying back 67 million shares. Over that time, its fully diluted share count went from $137 million down to $70 million. It reduced its shares by $67 million. That means that over those 11 years, it repurchased stock at an average stock price of about $250 compared to its stock price today of about $800. Over that time, it repurchased 49% of its shares outstanding and reduced the share count by an average of about seven. dollars percent per year. I mean, Dylan, you cannot make this stuff up. It's incredible.
0: And, you know, to put it plainly, people who have owned the stock that entire time have seen their share of the business essentially double. Yes, that's exactly right. Which, you know, there are not very many businesses you can say that for.
1: No. And, And and you didn't have to buy back you didn't have to buy an additional share. Your your ownership of the business doubled just because of the buybacks the company is doing on your behalf. If you're a continuing shareholder.
0: So I'm curious John O'Reilly is a little bit of a lesser known name was this something where you were following the company interested in the company and then found that they were good capital allocators or did you becoming a shareholder start with identifying
1: that they were great capital allocators and then getting interested in the business? I don't remember exactly. It's a really good question. I've owned it for over a decade, like I said. I do remember how I first came across it. It was owned by Chuck Acre at the time. And so I was reading one of his letters or I had seen one of his interviews. He said he was an you know owner of O'Reilly Automotive. And then I started doing my research. So I you know, I assume that at some point Doing my research a decade ago, I discovered they were a pretty good capital allocator, and over those last ten years, I think they've gotten even better. So probably a little combination of
0: both. So to turn things around a little bit and and look at some buybacks uh, that I think probably haven't gone quite as well, uh, or maybe buybacks done poorly. This may not be a surprise uh, for folks that have been following earnings season and the news cycle recently. Meta has been catching a lot of bad headlines, John, and I think that their buybacks over the last 12 to 16 months have not been great, to put it mildly. The company has spent $48 billion in repurchasing shares, uh, roughly 158 million shares as part of that. Uh, This was all prior to them reporting earnings. Uh, Roughly an average price of $300 a share. Now, after a disappointing earnings report, we are seeing shares at around $100 and we know that from the recent earnings report they bought back another 6.5 billion in the most recent quarter. So, we're looking at over $50 billion over the last we'll call it 16 months that they've repurchased, most of which at multiples from where the stock is right now. I think it's hard to know for sure until we're years out, kind of in the same way that it takes a while for us to know as individual investors whether our thesis has played out and we need, you know, 3, 5, 10 years. But I would just look at those numbers and say I'm not sold that those were great capital allocation decisions by this management team.
1: Yeah, they definitely look poorly timed. You know, in the very least, they look poorly timed. I guess two things I'll say about this is while they were doing these buybacks over the last 12, 18 months, like you said, I read a research report from Poland Capital, which, you know, excellent. Excellent stock picking firm based out of Florida, and they did some, some some of the parts analysis on Facebook, and they said that they thought core Facebook, so not Instagram, not WhatsApp, not Metaverse, not Oculus. They thought core Facebook was trading at four times earnings over the last year, and so that's cheap, right? That's really yeah. really that's cheap. incredibly cheap. Yeah, based on their analysis. So maybe maybe Facebook. Executives had a similar analysis. Maybe Facebook, uh, I'm calling it Facebook, I'm sorry, Meta, maybe Meta executives had a similar analysis and thought that their stock was incredibly undervalued. And so they bought back $50 billion worth of stock. On the other hand, they are going through a massive business model transformation. And it's uncertain how it's going to play out, Dylan. It's uncertain how it's going to play out. So, when going through such a transformation that is not only uncertain but extremely capital-intensive, one could argue that that um, Facebook should have conserved some of its cash flow just because it's doing something so uncertain. I think that's part of my issue with it, honestly, is you know, you can the
0: the the headline is they could have bought back two to three times as many shares as they did. Oh yeah. With that (sighs) with that same amount of money based on the levels they're at right now. Yep. And you know, I I have to think that at some point in late calendar twenty twenty one, early calendar twenty twenty two, when the vast majority of these repurchases were happening, the management team there was probably
1: starting to see some indications of a business slowdown. That that would be my guess with it's more than a slowdown apple privacy changes disrupted meta's business model it disrupted the business model along with a lot of other advertising digital advertising businesses mobile mobile first digital advertising businesses and so yeah it's more than a slowdown it's a it's a business model disruption in my opinion
0: and the company was trading at all-time highs in late 2021 yes. when a lot of these repurchases were happening. And so I think strictly on a financial basis, I, I think you could easily criticize the decision. Uh, I agree. I agree. But John, I think you're right. I think the, the meat of this and the frustrating part of it is they had a lot of cash on hand and it's a lot easier to, to try things out when you have a lot of cash on hand. They decided that in addition to a massive strategic pivot and a pivot that was going to require a lot of spending, yeah, a lot, a lot of spending on highly speculative business lines. Yep, they were also going to put tens of billions of dollars to work buying back shares in excess of any stock-based compensation. This was aggressive buybacks. These were not buybacks that were simply keeping the share count roughly where it
1: should be. It was very aggressive. Um, <laughs> like we said, at a very uncertain time in, in the in the business's life, they don't look good right now, Dylan. They? they they don't look good. It's going to take. A while to see where the stock price ends up and how these buybacks turned out.
0: And I mean, what's kind of incredible is for you know dogging them on this capital allocation decision. The company has forty billion dollars in cash sitting on the balance sheet.
1: Forty billion in cash. What against like twenty-ish uh, billion in uh, debt and leases? I'm, I I haven't looked, but I think it's about yeah. 20 and billion.
0: I think I think. Ten billion of that uh, is is new. Yeah. They they just put out their first ever bond offering, which is another reason I was surprised by the share purchase program. Yeah. As, you know, you you indicate that you know not you uh, Meta indicates that was to fund buybacks and also company investments. I, I would rather if that's the route they're going to go, scale it back on the buybacks. I and, agree. And, fo- and focus on high conviction business ideas. And if you're going to be aggressive with buybacks pace it out, and be able to do it during a period where your company stock has fallen dramatically.
1: As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.